He's talked about it. He's predicted it. He's told His disciples. He's told the people, hey, the cross is coming. I must die. But being fully man, He is wrestling with what that fully means. And as humans, I don't think that we really get the full implications of the cross. I don't think we really understand when He talks about, Lord, if it is possible, remove this cup from Me. Because He saw things in that cup. He saw what was coming up. And it was painful for Him. So as, as we walk into this, we, we are going to see what was the thing that, uh, like a blacksmith, as he pounds on steel, what was it? And it makes the steel harder and more firm and resolute. What was it that um, made Jesus more resolute for the mission that he was on, that God placed him on? So let's, let's read starting at verse 26 together and we'll go through uh, verse 42. Follow along with me as I read. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and found them sleeping. And he said to, said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. As I'm reading through this, this is, for Jesus, a heavy time. It is, uh, it is the point in His life where there's the struggle with His flesh and the struggle with His being fully God. There is this, this 
this battle, internal battle that is going on between what is it, how do I become faithful? What does it look like for me as the, as the Son of God, the Christ, to be faithful to my Father while being fully human? And he had a huge decision to be made. He had to decide, am I going to continue being faithful to my Father or will I step away? For me, when we talk about this, this thing called prayer, it's this other thing out there that uh, the spiritual supergiants do. As a kid, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian family where the thing that we did before meals was you prayed. You always prayed. And, that, and then the other time that we prayed was when? Right before bed. Now I... Lay me down to, I pray the Lord my, and if I, who does that to a kid? In the, you're, right before you go to bed, nightmares kick in. If I die, what? But this is the prayer that Jesus is, he's praying this prayer of, of life and death. It's his, about his own personal death, but it's also about our life that we can have with his faithfulness. So he enters into the Garden of Gethsemane. He enters in, and Gethsemane, uh, in its original language, means olive press. And if you know anything about an olive press, they are these huge stones that push down on the olives to press out all the oil, the good, sweet product. As Rachel Ray calls it, what is it? EVO, yeah. Extra virgin olive Yeah, sweet stuff. You know, so this is, Jesus is entering into the garden. He is being pressed by these stones of pressure, pressing out a sweet product. And so he's, he's entering into the garden. And, but before he goes up to the Mount of Olives, he has this, this discussion with his disciples. He says, listen, as, as they're walking along, he says, um, soon... The shepherd will be struck, and all the sheep will scatter. Talking about himself, saying, listen, soon I, will, soon I will die. And all of you, according to the Old Testament prophecy, you're going to run for the hills. And Peter, stereotypical Peter, goes, come on. Me? All them, they will go. But me, myself, there is no way possible that you are going to see me run for the hills. I will be faithful to the absolute end. You know me, Jesus. I'll be faithful to the end. Strike, strike you down? Yep. But you know what? They'll run. But me, I am your right-hand man. I'm the one who will make this happen. He was the overconfident spiritual type that says, you know what? Not me. It's not going to happen with me. I will make this happen. I'll stick through it to the end. And Jesus says, no. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. And Peter again said, emphatically, with extra pressure, you have no clue, Jesus. Even if I must die, I will follow you to the end. And sometimes I think that's a great picture about uh, American Christians. 
we talk about our faith and that we are going to follow devotedly, follow closely after Jesus. We're going to pursue him with all of our life. We're going to give him all that we have. And Jesus says, are you serious? You know, when the pressure really comes at the end of the day, you're going to run for the hills. I wonder what would really happen in America if at the first sign of spiritual Christian persecution, what would happen if all of a sudden something would happen and all of a sudden there'd be persecution of all Christians? What would happen? And you've got to answer this yourself. Will you give the answer that Peter said and said, no way, I'm, I'm sticking to the end. Uh, to the very end, I will, I will be faithful to Jesus. I will pursue Him with all my might, everything that I have. I won't run. I won't hide. I will declare my faith to the nations. I will be faithful. I will publicly, privately, in every way possible, pursue Him. Or, when persecution comes, will you Will we run? How would you answer that? What is it that steals your faith? What is it that, man, I am more near, moment by moment, to my Savior Jesus Christ. And I belong to Him, body and soul. My whole everything, I give to Him faithfully. Is there anything in you that in your day-to-day life that is making you more resolute, more passionate for Jesus Christ, more faithful to Him, moment by moment, day by day? Or are we casual Christians? Where it's just one of those things that kind of happens to us on a Sunday morning. And maybe, if you go to Trinity Christian Maybe you'll even go to outcry and stay up extra late and worship God. Or maybe you'll have a Bible study here or there. Or maybe you work for a Christian institution where nominally you're kind of, you, know, you get a little bit of involvement, a little bit of dose of Jesus here and there. Is there anything inside you that you are doing, receiving, that is just stealing your faith, that is just making it more solid? After Jesus talked and said to him, listen, you will, you will run. Which I think we can be greatly discouraged because at the end, next week we're going to see they all run. They all run. But Jesus here mercifully gives us a picture, gives us something that will bless us. That will uh, bring us deeper in our walk with Christ. And it's this thing called prayer. I've been able to sit in this, uh, this, this section for quite some time. Since I've been gone for the past couple weeks. I've been able to just kind of sit in this, this whole section. And just really you know, write notes about, okay, what does this mean? What, what is this prayer thing? And I had to think about, what is my own prayer life as a pastor? And some of you go, you know, he's a professional Christian. Therefore, we should follow Paul's example of what it means to be spiritual. We'll kind of warn you there. 
I don't have my stuff together. You can follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, I drop the ball all the time. Our ultimate example is Christ Himself. And here, we see Jesus saying to His disciples, listen, I want you to sit here and pray. You see Jesus say constantly, watch and pray. And I think about my life as I'm watching people pray. There's been one solid example of me being able to watch and enjoy prayer. And it was during my college years when I was at Trinity Christian College, I kind of rebelled against the Reformed uh, reformed faith because it was a bunch of bunk at that time to me. So what I did was I went to what I considered to be like the other end of the spectrum. I went to an Assemblies of God church. They were a little wild and crazy swing from the rafters type of church, you know. And it's like, yeah, there's got to be something going on here. Well, uh, I went to Stone Church in Palos Heights. And during that time, the pastor, his name was uh, J.P. Epperson. And uh, uh, Pastor Epperson was a man of prayer. And this is how I knew he was a man of prayer. It was my first little glimpse into what it was like to have a life of prayer. Not to be just a man who prayed, but a life of prayer. Uh, Sunday evenings, my first glimpse was um, before Sunday evening church, they always gathered at least an hour before church in their little side chapel. And up and down the aisles, you would see uh, Pastor Epperson with his Bible. And he would be praying, and he'd be going up and down the aisles. And he'd be praying, and sometimes he'd be praying silently. Sometimes he'd pray out loud, loudly. And there would be people in the pews uh, screwing out, just praying with Bibles open, reading through Scripture, praying through Scripture. And I'll be honest with you, and this may sound kooky, and you'll go, yeah, whatever. But when you walked into this room, there was a heavy fragrance. And I can't explain. It wasn't like this. They lit incense and it smelt of incense. But there was this heavy fragrance of God. Where these people's hearts were so in tune. You walked in and there was, you could almost cut it with a knife. It was just rich with God's presence. Every once in a while, Pastor Epperson, he'd stop and I could just feel his proximity. He wasn't a big man, but he was spiritually a big man. And he would stop. He'd place his hand on my shoulder. And that's when you started feeling, oh dear God, whatever you pray for, please take it easy. Because when he prayed, he meant it. And he believed it. He would stop and he would pray and he'd give you that little squeeze and he'd move on. And he'd keep going up and down and he'd pray these prayers in there. And it was just amazing. To the point in my college career, I, n- I did not just go to Sunday evening prayer and worship. I started following his example. Every morning at 6 a.m., Pastor Epperson would come in in his prayer clothes. He had clothes. I don't know if he didn't wash them regularly or what. But he would just basically get out of bed. He put on these clothes so that there wasn't the decision, what am I wearing for the day? There wasn't no distraction. He'd get on his prayer clothes. He'd 
drive from his place, which wasn't too far from the church, and he would come in and spend at least an hour to an hour and a half every day in prayer, doing the same thing, whether there was one person in the room or a hundred person in the room, people in the room, he would walk up and down and just pray scripture, and he became more resolute. And I'll tell you, his preaching, I joked with John and Don up here, there was a certain spit zone with Pastor Epperson, because his passion for the Word, he, he was a Spirit-filled man. And after the time of prayer, this area was unsafe and the aisles were unsafe. Because he was so passionate about the Word, spit would fly. It sounds gross, but I'll tell you, there was something about him that just believed that God would move. And it made him more passionate and compassionate as a man of God. And so we see Jesus here taking his disciples up onto the Mount of Olives saying, come here, sit and watch. I want you to see this. You need to see this because you know what? In a few short hours, I will be brought up onto a cross. I will be crucified. Your faith, you're going to wonder what these last three years were all about because you see the one that you thought was the Messiah hanging on a cross. And dying, you need to see this right now. And so he brings his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, a little bit further on. Just uh, literally, it says a stone's throw. So you, you've got some of the disciples hanging back. And Peter, James, and John, Jesus says, you guys, James, Peter, you will be. You will be the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You, come, you need to see this because this is going to be the epicenter of where the action happens. John, you need to see this also. The beloved, the one that Jesus said was his closest disciple. He brought them on a little closer and said, watch. Watch as I pray. And Jesus takes them on and it says here, as he was praying, he said to the, as he was talking to them, he said, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. My soul is sorrowful. What is it about Jesus, what was going on that was so sorrowful, so heavy, that he said, it's, it's not just sorrow like somebody's going to die, but to the point where, even for myself, it's even to death. It is so weighty. You, you need to see this and hear this. And he invites them to, to come and, and witness this. And it's difficult to believe. But this, it was a sorrow which even threatened his life. Jesus came close to death as the horror of what was going to happen nearly overwhelmed him. It was so heavy. And what did Jesus do? Some of us, if we, we have stress, we'll pull out the ice cream and we'll chow down. Give me a margarita, I'm going to be happy. We'll take the edge off. Some of you, you're runners. You're going to go out and run a mile, two miles, three miles. Some of you, you'll plug in the iPod and blare out the rest of the world. But Jesus, what did he do when he was being pressed in on every side? What did he do? He prayed. The weightiness of this situation 
what did he do? He didn't waste it with a run. He didn't waste it with a drink. He didn't waste it with food. He didn't waste it with relationships, human relationships. He put in time to prayer. Heavy-duty prayer. Here it says, um, he says, just watch. And he started praying that if it were possible, if it were possible, God, may the hour pass. May the, may the hour go by. And may this not even happen. May this hour pass. And he, I love that they give a snippet of his prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. All things. So right there, Jesus is acknowledging God's sovereignty, God's rule over all things. All things. Every raindrop, every bug that flies by, every, every tear that is shed, God is sovereign over all things. You, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Father, remove this cup from me. Because as he looked into this cup, he saw two things. And this, this is the weighty thing for Jesus. Because later on it talks about how he sweated even drops of blood. In Luke, it, it talks about how, how God even sent an angel to minister to Jesus during this time. Because he was so overwhelmed with the weight of what was in this cup. What was going to be happening? You know, he prayed that the hour might pass. So what was this that was just so extremely overwhelming? Two things. What he saw in this cup was that this cup was full of all the sins of the world. All the sins of the world. Present past, future, every sin. And there is no little sin before a great God. So every little thing of all degrees, it's not just the pedophiles, it's not just the murderers, it's your slothfulness, it's your laziness, it's my laziness, it's all those things that are in that cup. And Jesus is saying, I'll die for that. It's your lust, men. It's your lack of leadership. It's your hard heart against other people. Your inability to forgive. You're putting your identity in, in things or what you do as opposed to the Creator. It's our lack of trust. It's our poor stewardship of everything that we have. He saw in the cup all the sins of the world. But what else did he see in that? It wasn't just that. It was also he saw the wrath of God. Because God is a holy God and he's a just God. Yes, he's a loving God and we hear a lot about that. But all throughout the uh, Old Testament you hear God say, Be holy because I am holy. And a holy God cannot have sins before Him. 
So somebody had to take on the wrath of God. Somebody had to take the sins of the world so that we could stand before God and be able to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful student. Your name is written in the book of life. There's only one way to get our name into the book of life, to be able to stand before God. It's by receiving the free gift of God's salvation through Jesus Christ, through Him shedding His blood for our sake. That is the only way we can stand before God. It's not by your good works. It's not because you're a good, kind person. It's not because you care for the world. It's because the gift of God. And Jesus saw that this was something that He had to carry. And in His anguish, in His pain, Jesus was able to submit His life unconditionally to His Father. And again and again we see the boys sleeping. We see the church sleeping. It's really who the the apostles are, the disciples are. It's us. The pressure is on. We're sleeping. It's game time. They're resting. Sometimes having no clue of what is beyond. What is what is it? We have no clue that the game is even on. So we're all of a sudden we're resting. We're sleeping. We're not engaging into this this thing that God has called us into. And so Jesus willingly submitted his life unconditionally to the authority of his Father. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words again. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. All things are possible. If it's possible, remove this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. John Piper. There's a quote that I want you to throw up there. John Piper, you see it, Andy? Prayer is a human act that God ordained and in which He delights in because it reflects the dependence of His creatures on Him. Prayer is a gift for us that where we totally are able to depend fully on God and God says, I am pleased in this because I see my children depending more fully on Him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's Jesus. Fully, as a fully man and fully God, we see Jesus fully depending on His Father, fully trusting in Him. In every possible way, He is trusting in His Father. Saying, listen, Father, I I am depending on You. I fully trust You that You know what is best. I know what is going to be happening in a few short hours. In fact, I know that The one who has betrayed me is on his way up to the Mount Olives right now. Father, if it's possible, turn him around. But ultimately, not my will, but your will. When was the last time we prayed like that? Really prayed and meant him. Not my will but your will be done. 
Because ultimately, trusting in You. I am depending more fully on You. As it's all hit in the fan, I'm trusting more fully in You. As my relationships, as my marriage, as my children are pushing in on every side, as my work and my all these things, my finances, all those stuff, God, not my will, but it's all about Your will. And even Jesus in in the Lord's Prayer, Father, who art in heaven, holy, hallowed be Your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we pray prayers like that? Where we say, man, God, you know what? We are here to serve You because You gave us the gift that we could not ever conjure up on our own. So you know what, God? Your will be done. Your will be done. In my marriage, in my relationships, in my finances, in my workplace, in every area, Your will be done. And it wasn't until the very end that Jesus, after three times, finally comes up and says, Listen, I found you sleeping again. Enough. I've prayed enough. Let's go. It's almost Jesus saying in in our words, game time. My betrayer's coming. I'm going to be put into the hands of sinners. It's game time. Jesus was resolute. And what made him resolute as being fully man? Prayer. A full dependence on the Father. Jesus freely accepted God's will for himself. On his On his own, he accepted God's will. And as he said to his disciples, and he kind of in the same words, his call echoes those first words that we heard in Mark where Jesus said, Come follow me. Let's go. That's why I've come. In the same way, Jesus said, Let's go. The cross before me is the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. Game time. I'm moving forward. And what was it that made him resolute? Again, it was prayer. And I'm going to tell you, and this is awful to admit, I suck at it. I read something that it actually encouraged me. There's a a pastor from 1928. So back then they, they even struggled with this stuff. His name was Sidlow Baxter, and he wanted to be the best best Methodist Baptist a pastor. So he wanted to be a man of prayer. He wanted to preach it. But very quickly what he found out was there were all kinds of administrative duties. There were letters to be written. There were congregational responsibilities. 
And after just being so devout to prayer, he became distracted. Other things crept into his world and and pulled him away. And so, one time he was having a discussion with other pastors. And somebody said, listen, how do you do this? How do you not allow prayer to be crowded out by the stuff of life? Because you know what? Prayer is not just something for the pastoral type. It's not just meant for Paul. It's not meant for the elders. It's not meant for deacons. It's not meant for elder candidates. It's not just meant for those ministry leaders, those big superheroes of the church. It is meant for the people of God. So how do we all not allow the stuff of life to crowd out prayer? He said this. Um, One morning, the voice of the Spirit was calling him to pray. And at the same time, another velvety voice told him to be practical and get his letters answered. He ought to face up to the fact that he was not that spiritual sort, that only a few other people could be like that. That did it. That last remark, according to Baxter, hurt like a dagger blade. I could not bear to think it was true. He was horrified by his ability to rationalize away the very ground of his ministerial vitality and power. That morning, Sidlow Baxter took a good look at his heart and he found there was a part of him that did not want to pray and a part that did. There was this internal battle going on. The part that didn't was his emotions. The part that did was his intellect and his will. So he wrote this, this story down of what was going on in his, uh, in his diary. As never before, my will and I stood face to face. And I asked the straight question, Will, are you ready for an hour of prayer? Will answered, Here I am, and I'm quite ready if you are. So Will and I linked arms and turned to go for an hour of prayer. At once, all the emotions began pulling the other way and protesting, We're not coming! I saw Will stagger just a bit. So I asked him, Can you stick it out, Will? And Will replied, Yes, if you can. So Will went, and we got down to prayer, dragging those wiggling emotions. I don't know what that word is. With us. It was a struggle all the way through. At one point when Will and I were in the middle of an earnest intercession, I suddenly found one of those treacherous emotions had snared my imagination and run off to the golf course. Typical man. And it was all I could do to drag the wicked rascal back. A bit later, I found another of the emotions had sneaked off with some of those off-guard thoughts and was in the pulpit two days ahead of schedule, preaching a sermon I had not finished preaching. At the end of the hour, if you had asked me, have you had a good time? I would have had to reply, no. It has been a wearing wrestle with contrary emotions and a truant imagination from beginning to end. And what is more, that battle with the emotions continues for between two and three weeks. 
And if you had asked me at the end of that period, have you had a good time in your daily praying? I would have had to confess, no. At all times, it has seemed as though the heavens were brass and God was too distant to hear and the Lord Jesus strangely aloof and a prayer accomplished nothing. Yet something was happening. For one thing, Will and I really taught the emotions that we were completely independent of them. Also, one morning, about two weeks after the contest began, just when Will and I were going for another time of prayer, I overheard one of the emotions whisper to the other, Come on, you guys. It's no use wasting any more time resisting. They'll just go the same. That morning, for the first time, even though the emotions were still suddenly uncooperative, they were at least compliant, which allowed Will and me to get on with prayer undistractedly. J.C. Ryle said this, and this honestly, I, I don't like to admit it, this is one of those things that brought me to tears. He said this, Never be surprised if you hear ministers of the Gospel dwelling much on the importance of prayer. This is the point we want to bring you to. We want to know that you pray. Your views of doctrine may be correct. Your love of Protestantism may be warm and unmistakable. However, but this still may be nothing more than head knowledge and party spirit. We want to know whether you are actually acquainted with the throne of grace. And whether you can speak to God as well as speak about God. I, that one was a kicker. Are you actually acquainted with the throne of grace? Because our acquaintance of the throne of grace will just drive us into deeper and deeper worship where we'll become more and more intimate with the giver of that grace. And then he ends up by saying this, Do you wish to find out whether you are a true Christian? Kick. Then rest assured that my question is of very first importance. Do you pray? I've heard arguments, well, you know, if God's sovereign, why should I pray? Why should I pray for other people? Why should I do that? You know what? Jesus prayed. Get over your, your arguments of, well, I don't think I should have to pray if God already knows what's going on. For some reason, Jesus was in the garden, on his knees, down before the Father, bleeding droplets of blood, and he was praying. For us, this question is just as important. Do we pray? And I'm not talking about dinner time, lunchtime prayers. I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. I'm talking about do we pray as a church? Do we really pray? And are you willing to really take time out of your busy schedule, carve time in for God, are you willing to pray earnestly 
for God. For God to answer our prayers. For God to move in some way that would just surprise the living daylights out of us. For God to change our cold and hard hearts. Are we willing to pray those prayers earnestly and passionately together? Are we really willing to pray? Nathan and I had to wrestle with that. Because you know what? At the beginning of Missio Day, when we first started it, the launch team, we did prayer walks. We met together every time. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. We prayed for this community. We prayed for the government in Mokina in this area. We prayed for the schools. We prayed for this. We prayed for that. We prayed for everything. We prayed. All of a sudden, we got busy. We started church. Apparently, we were done with it. And not much has been happening. We've got some good stuff going on. we got tutoring. We go down to Roseland. we got some good music going on. you got an okay preacher. We're starting membership this Sunday. We've got all these things going on. But can we say that we are more passionately in love with Jesus Christ today than compared to yesterday and the day and the day and day before? Where, man, today, I, you know what? The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. I'm going to follow after Him and becoming resolute because of prayer. Our intimate time with the Lord, individually and communally. You want to know what the early church prayed for? They, they called on God to exalt His name in the world. They called on God to extend His kingdom in the world. They called on God that the gospel would run and triumph. They called on God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They called on God to vindicate His people in their cause. They called on God to save unbelievers. They called on God to direct the use of the Bible. They called on God for boldness in proclamation. They called on God for signs and wonders. When's the last time we've seen a sign and wonder? <laughs> wonder why? They called on God for the healing of wounded people. They called on God for healing of unbelievers. They called on God for miraculous deliverances. They called on God for the raising of the dead. Do we do that? They do in third world countries. Amazing things happen because they believe it. They called on God to supply His troops with necessities. They called on God for strategic wisdom. They called on God to establish leadership in the outposts. They called on God to send out reinforcements. They called on God for success, for the success of other missionaries. They called on God for unity and harmony in their ranks. They called on God for the encouragement of togetherness. They called on God for a mind of discernment, for a knowledge of His will, to know Him better, to comprehend the power of the love of Christ. They called on God for a deeper sense of assured hope. They called on God for strength and endurance. I've got more. They called on God for a deeper sense of His power within them. They called on God for their faith, that their faith would not be destroyed. They called on God for greater faith. They called on God that they might not fall into temptation. They called on God that He would complete their resolves. He called on God that they would do good works. They called on God for forgiveness of sins. And they called on God for protection from the evil one.
If you want scripture to back it up, I'll give this to you. So what we're going to do as a church, pretty soon we're going to pray. <laughs> I know last week, Dave Eisenbart had you pray in little groups, and that was, some of you, a little uncomfortable. Good. That means that we're not disciplined in prayer. So we're going to work on that. We're going to learn how to pray, discipline the emotions, and actually pray. And some of you, you're going to feel like you're going to pray baby prayers. Way to go. You're not going to know what to pray or what words to pray. That's all right. Jesus, even in the garden, said, Abba, Father, Daddy. Daddy, as a child. On top of that, what we're going to do, starting every second Tuesday of the month, we are going to call the church together for prayer. And it's not just a leadership community. We're calling the full body together for prayer. So you've got it. You've heard about it now. You've got a week and a few days to clear your calendar, about ten days to clear your calendar, because second Tuesday is not this Tuesday, next Tuesday. It's going to be at Peace Community Church. And I hope that you actually clear your calendar. And you, if you've got an issue with child care, figure it out. Or bring your child along with you. Nothing better than your kids learning how to pray, right? We are going to pray together. If you're too busy, maybe God's going to take care of something during that time of prayer that will change your heart, that will change your priorities, that he, maybe He will even lighten your load some way. We will pray together. So you know what? I can't do this any longer. I can't just preach. I need to know that the people of God are in this with me. That be, we sit before the throne of grace. Praying to the Father of mercy, that His will be done on earth, within our communities, as it is in heaven. So we're going to pray. Tuesday, 7 o'clock. Gives you enough time to eat a little lunch, eat a little dinner, feed the kids if you got some, do your last second homework. Travel all the way down to Frankfurt or all the way up if you're from Mantino. We're going to pray. Because I can't do this church thing anymore. I hope you're feeling that same tension. Sick of just doing church. Just showing up. I want God to show up in an amazing way where we're just going, holy cow. Can you believe it? We've got to buy a baptismal uh, tub of some sort because every Sunday, somebody's saying, I want to give my life to Christ. All right, giddy up, let's dunk you. Do you imagine? Where we've got to have somebody who's in charge of bringing in a horse trough of some sort. We'll dress it up. Fill it with hopefully warm water, and I've got to bring a swimsuit every Sunday because we've got to baptize people because lives are being transformed by the power of the gospel. As you're sharing it with your friends, your neighbors, your kids, 
And all of a sudden, even your kids go, I got it. I get Jesus. Yeah, let's go. Let's, let's take the next step of obedience. So we're going to pray. Enough talking, Paul. And this is how we're going to do it. This section, this is a big group. It'll be fun. You're a bigger group. This is going to be fun. I want you to kind of turn your chairs into each other. So maybe you'll have a couple couple rings going on here. That's cool. Likewise. I want you... Uh, I'm going to ask... Uh, Casey, would you close prayer after an extended time of prayer? And I'm going to ask uh, Brandon, would you close prayer after an extended time of prayer? I want you to pray out loud. I want you to pray for what is on your heart. I want you to pray for the church. I want you to pray for people by name. I want to pray for situations, for your finances, for whatever it is. I want you to pray out loud that God's will might be done. And if that means you've got to pray three or four times, pray three or four times. If there's that awkward silence, good. Deal with it. Maybe it's in that awkward time that you go, God, what? what is it? What is it? And you listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying amongst each other, to you. Maybe some of you need to pray through Scripture. The Psalms are beautiful. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, my gut says we're going to go long. And I'm going to have to deal with my wife and the children's ministry. That's all right. But we need to pray. So, make two rings, three rings, one ring, whatever. Turn each, face each other. Somebody start praying. Brandon will close over here. Casey will close over here. Let's pray together as a body of Christ. Go.